Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Vivian Chan. She is the CEO and founder of Sparrow. Hey, Vivian, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show, and we are very excited to hear what you have to say because you're going to be an excellent guest. But let's first prove that you're a real human. I want you to answer this capture question. What do you think is going to be obsolete in about 10 years? Um, that Actually, I think it's a pretty tricky question. Mm. Um, but uh, just to verify, I am human. Mm. Um, I think that uh, I'm already starting to see it. Um, these days, there's less and less... Uh, you know, those human checkouts, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, especially in Unico. I don't know if you've seen that the, um, some of those automatic checkout machines that are becoming absolutely amazing. You just drop the basket in, it automatically detects what you have in your basket and then just, um, you just pay. So yep. that's becoming very, very scary actually. <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. same time. In the same way that I feel like, you know, there used to be elevator men that would stand there and like push yeah. the button for you. Like, if I try to explain it to my kids, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> like, I feel like their kids will also be like, there were people that like checked you out at the market. Yeah, exactly. And ask you number 13 and then you just <laughs> press the number 13. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Vivian, tell us a little bit about your company and how you got started. Yes. So Sparrow is really founded out of a personal pain point of mine um, where I originally was a life science investor. Um, and I found it quite hard and inaccessible to stay on top of cutting edge scientific research and make um, investment decisions. Um, and ultimately, through a um, series of different events, um, after doing my PhD at Cambridge University um, at, in the United Kingdom, and then I ended up um, becoming an entrepreneur to set out on the journey to solve for that problem that we speak of. So we're trying to democratize access of scientific research um, and making it much more understandable um, and accessible um, for everyone, not just technical audiences, um, to better make their own informed decisions. So very, very evident these days now with pandemic. Yeah. Um, especially the uh, COVID-19 that's happened. Um, it's really kind of made the market or the individuals outside of scientific kind of research really aware of why everyone kind of wants to understand what's happening in science right. and better make those decisions on, you know, when do I go back to the workplace? Is it safe to go back to the workplace? Um, should I be taking my kids to school right now? Or, you know, what kind of antibody tests and PCR tests should I be taking? Um, all the kind of basic understanding of scientific information becomes much more of a household uh, discussion point now than it ever has been. Yeah. And not just the discussion point, but it's something that everyone gets mm. an opinion on, right? Yes. I get to say what I think is right and what I think is wrong. And, and that matters just as much as anyone else, which let's go ahead and jump into that. Talking about the level of trust that people have in scientific reports that come out. Like, where are we on that? Like, what are the big issues that you're trying to tackle with it? Yeah, absolutely. So trust is such a good point because, um, 
Trust is actually at an all-time low at the moment around the world, um, around uh, traditional general media and information in general. Um, but even with, especially, that's not even to do with scientific research. That's just general news already, yeah. where there is a massive truth decay that's happening. Um, but ironically, people have also voted uh, that the, their most trusted information source generally is scientific journal papers. Mm. Um, but however, less than 3% of scientific journals are actually accessible to the wider audience. Um, if you're not a scientist or a doctor and you're paying for the research articles, um, it's really hard to even understand the technical language that is written in the journal articles, let alone make decisions out of it. Um, so we're trying to fight that do, uh, truth decay, <laughs> but we're not journalists. Uh, we are a team of scientists and technologists, and we also have a network of um, scientists that are actually working with us to really try to um, democratize access to make a better new quality standard of um, evidence-based content to try to um, allow for these uh, kind of misinformation, um, uh, social media chats and stuff yeah. like that to actually have real evidence being dropped into it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to enable for the individuals to really consume information on a day-to-day -day basis uh, that is not politically driven, um, that is not um, a, a kind of opinionated, yeah. um, but really just coming back to the core scientific evidence. What does the science say and um, what decisions can I make for myself uh, based on knowledge? Well, let's talk about the, like, the future of that because I feel like there's not like going back to the good old days again when we just trusted science. If there ever was such a thing, like... We can't go back there. Like the genies are out of the bottle, so to speak, of like all of your parents and everything. They get their, all their information from WhatsApp groups or, or from Facebook mm. channels and different things like that. So what is a more positive, productive for society way to look at science truths? It feels like where we are right now is horrible. Like we can't, can't stay where we are. So where do you want to take us to? Yeah, so I think the inaccessibility um, has a couple of different levels. So the first level is actually currently the status quo in order to access any of the information is that the user needs to know all the technical keywords. Yeah. <laughs> you need to type in the technical keywords into search terms, and then you have to pull out the information, which is very limiting. That means the user needs to know exactly what they're looking for uh, to be able to even try to surface that. So that's like the first step mm -hmm. uh, of the first barrier to entry. Then if you do land on pieces of content that you think is relevant, you've got a paywall issue. So the, the publishers are then charging you uh, per article, unless you've bought, bought in bulk, um, to access the information. And uh, if you're willing to then even pay beyond that, then you are staring at pages and pages of really technical content uh, because it was actually written for a different audience. Mm. Um, and so what we're trying to do is modernize that. The information is already out there. Um, especially in some of the areas like, say, women, women's health and fertility research, the information is there, um, but it's not necessarily uh, brought into the right channels. 
is not actually uh, conveyed and written for the right audience and the right channels to be presented at the right time. Mm. Um, so that's really where we're trying to hone in on all three fronts and really start looking at the lens of, okay, these scientists that are actually doing the research day on, day out, how are they using um, kind of scientific journals as a platform to communicate their science? And can we enable them using a different platform to also communicate their research, but with a slightly different audience? Mm. Um, and so that they can actually communicate their impact to a much wider audience. Um, and, and then being able to actually not just have it in terms of like summarization, but deliver it into different kind of mediums um, that people nowadays kind of want to digest, you know, summaries, uh, written form, uh, podcast form, yeah. <laughs> um, newsletters, social media, uh, just really enable the content to be at the places that the individuals want to share. Makes sense. I believe in your mission a lot, and I, I wish you all the best in it. And I, I want to take a transition a little bit to talk about the actual team you're building to do this, because it, it, you can't just do it on your own. You have to build something. We're talking about a digital workplace on this topic. So tell me about the team that you have that's working on this project. Yeah, um, and this is such an exciting topic because uh, culture, I think, is really important to be thinking very early on. Um, even though we might be still an early stage startup with a small uh, team, we're quite um, remote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think the way that we've been thinking about it is building upon the core principles that every company should be thinking about anyways. Um, really kind of really understanding uh, what drives the individual people in the team. So we've got some team members in London. We've also got U.S., and currently, because of COVID, also spread out in Europe. Okay. Um, and then our network of scientists are in, like, they're global in every single pretty much uh, continent you can think of. And we also have clients out in the APEC region. So multiple different time zones that we're working with. Uh, but the core kind of distribute, uh, kind of core team is really European and USA time zone. Mm -hmm. um, and that really does um, actually help us with a couple of things. When we're thinking about hiring right now in terms of the full-time hires, not so much the contractors, uh, we kind of want to maximize overlap time. Um, and so we actually appreciate that not every single person has to be in the same time zone, um, but uh, European time zone and also the best kind of maximum five to six hours overlap is a really good time kind of way to work together. Uh, but really when it comes down to um, the core values of the business, we actually have four very distinct core values that we kind of co-created with the team. Um, and uh, those are like four C's for us. Um, and every company is going to have different ones. Um, but especially nowadays when we are also remote and virtual, um, we think like uh, some of articulating those values and propositions are even more important than ever. Hmm. Um, so for us, it's about clarity. So clarity is really important now, especially with communications. And we can talk a little bit more about the different like tools and communications, stuff like that, that seems to work really well for us. Care 
absolutely lots of care because we don't have that physical um, interaction anymore for team bonding exercises. Uh, for us, curiosity is really important um, because we're a startup trying to make a lot of changes. So we're trying to hire people who are just naturally curious um, about their work but about the world um, and we're also kind of um, empowering individuals and our team members to make change whether that is small step changes um, we've also kind of got a bit of like a, a recognition culture um, where we realize that in the startup it's not necessarily always about the destination but it's about the journey that we take on together. Mm -hmm. um, so we do actually try to celebrate every single small victory along the way. Um, so we do uh, weekly shout outs. <laughs> um, and then we started pairing those shout outs out with some of these Slack integration tools. So Bonusly is one that one of our team members have actually recommended and we're using it that quite well now, um, allowing for the shout outs to also have points that get assigned and then employees can actually recognize and get, get um, turn those points into actual rewards uh, down the track. So there's a lot of really great digital collaboration tools Yeah, um, that I think is exploded it's because of the pandemic as well. And depending on what the company's core values and cultures are, there's so much tools to be able to amplify that. Yeah, there's a lot you mentioned. I want to come back to several different things. Let me start with the time zone issue. It seems like if you have a company that doesn't have a headquarters and you're location kind of independent, do you feel like it, it's still important to have at least a time zone headquarters, so to speak, to kind of centralize that work there? Because I've worked in teams that have been fully distributed all around the world and it's great, but it's also extremely frustrating because you mm -hmm. might have one conversation a day yeah, and then work just stops and then you got to have one more that comes in and, and goes through there. So has, has that been a, a conscious choice you've said to say, okay, we're going to centralize on this maybe Western European or Central European time zone as the key point? Yeah, so I guess um, naturally our offices were in London. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of have naturally used the London time zone as the headquarters time zone, as you call it. Um, and then really look for, especially for full-time um, kind of employees, uh, kind of plus or minus five hour differences. Yeah. Um, so far, it's really been European time zone centered around London time zone. And then even say with the US, uh, we actively try to hire Eastern or Central time zone because they maximize the most amount of overlap. Um, but that's really just for full time. But if mm -hmm. you're looking for like, you know, we've got advisors out in California, Silicon Valley, um, it completely does work. Yeah. Um, so it, it actually forces us to be really prepared. And I think the preparation is even more important now than ever. Um, we try to not have as much meetings. I know it may sound ironic, um, but sometimes just for the sake of having meetings means that people can be lazy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll just talk to so-and-so and I'll just ask him about something else. But what we really try to do now is actually every single meeting has a clear goal, has agenda. And that agenda gets set ahead of time. And so everyone is prepared by the time they go into the meeting. Um, if it, even if it's a brainstorming meeting or a retrospective meeting, which we recently had, then everyone knows that that's the time for, oh, which of the six hats am I putting on yep. <laughs> to get the most out of it? And then also sometimes because we have a difference of time zone, it forces us to reflect as well. 
do I really want to speak to so-and-so? Mm. And then actually, can I find that information somewhere else? Yeah. Um, there's pros and cons. There's definitely pros and cons. You can't just have those co- um, cooler conversations and uh, uh, coffee chats and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, for us so far, it's kind of worked really well if the organization is done. Yeah, I like that because, like you said, you don't want to call it lazy, but there's a certain amount of you can rely on the spontaneity and the serendipity of just being all, even if you're just on the same time zone, even if you're just using a Slack or something like that, like, I don't have to worry about it because I can get in touch with these people all day long. Like, anytime that I want it, it's there. Whereas if you are spread out a little bit, that does force you to plan ahead. It forces you to make sure if I have this one meeting, I'm not going to have this meeting again later today. So I have to make sure that, that we get everything we need out of that. And so... I need to think through that, plan ahead, prepare people for that. And it, it requires a lot more intentionality, which I think is consistent across most digital workplaces. It just takes a little bit more thoughtfulness. Yeah, absolutely. And the thoughtfulness is, um, for us at least, is very much appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's thoughtfulness on a social level. Um, mm-hmm. That's where we also start seeing people checking in, just kind of like, you've had your vaccine, um, you've had your vaccine, how, how was it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and also just being thoughtful that someone might be recovering from the vaccine side effects and, and just helping each other out on a planning kind of day-to-day level. Excellent. One of the core values you mentioned was curiosity. And I am curious as to how you gauge that, especially if you're talking about a full-time hire. How do you know if somebody brings those attributes of curiosity into a role? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So uh, yes, it, we embed it in part of the interview process. Um, it, you you kind of do get a sense on how many questions they ask you. That's like a, a kind of a core basis um, within the interview process. How interested are they generally? Um, how much research they've done on mm. the company beforehand? Um, some of the stuff may seem quite basic, uh, but it does already start painting how curious someone is naturally. Um, and we're always looking for, because for me, as a CEO, there's three different P's that I prioritize, which is always people first. Um, and if you find the right kind of curiosity mindset of people to build a team, then your product will, will actually evolve to be uh, some of the most innovative ones. Um, and then the third P was profit. Um, in that order, is something that uh, as a CEO, I have to really worry about. Um, but the curiosity element of it is um, also when we do kind of go back and ask them about other things in their life. <laughs> um, I'm generally just curious about my team members as a human being, not yeah. as a title. Um, and that really does shine through. Uh, because you do end up having this more of a social conversation. And when you do have the social conversations, you can also pick out the curiosity and the nature of them in terms of uh, how, how, how they've gone about seeing the world. Um, and then how we recognize curiosity as well. Um, it's also just part of the shout outs as well. But if people are kind of always asking the right questions, sometimes even some of, you know, there is no wrong question, actually. If you're actually comfortable asking questions, then sometimes the most naive questions are the best questions that no one Mm. is asking. Uh, So we do try to have um, kind of a key learnings section in our weekly team meetings as well. Just kind of people sharing what other things they might have learned this uh, this week that we might not be, it might not be the core topics of the company, but just interesting other parts of learning that they thought they could also share. I think a lot of people that are in your position are hearing all this and they may be getting a little bit of anxiety thinking like, 
oh my gosh, that's so much to recognize. <laughs> Not only do I have to run a company, but I have to think about, you know, all the health of all the people on my team. I got to think about everything else that's there. I got to think about building this culture. I got to think about all these types of things. And you're in, you're in a startup phase too, mm-hmm. trying to build a company and, and make it succeed and, mm-hmm. and get going. How have you dealt with that pressure of feeling like you're not only creating a business, but you're creating a culture, you're creating uh, this community around things? Have you been able to distribute that amongst other team members or do you feel all that weight on yourself? Uh, very good question. Because I have felt the the balance and the rebalancing that I've had to do. Um, and it all does come back to ultimately um, the people that you choose. Mm-hmm. That isn't not so much just an internal team, but also your investors. Mm. So I'm thinking about the investors and their advisors and everyone else around us, because if you get the right investors who also share the same values that you've got to put the team first and care about the team and put time aside to be looking at culture, then those are the right people that I want investing in my company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it starts all the way from there. Um, but there's always a time that where it's all about execution and I'm trying to balance that with strategy. And then that I, uh, but more and more now that I sign to actually have, um, more of a horizon in terms of, we know what the products are, we know where we're going, then that gives me more of a breathing space, um, to start thinking about it from, um, a collective culture perspective, mm-hmm. Um, so as a starting point, I've always started to do it much more on an individual level because obviously you're line managing, et cetera. And uh, a, the book that I absolutely love is called The Alliance by mm-hmm. Reid Hoffman. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you read about it, but highly recommend it in terms of how you build. Um, it's a two-way street. It's what they call as two of duties. Um, and it's not just about what they can do for the company but it's what the company can do for them too. Mm-hmm. And having those frank conversations and that building that relationship as a first start, step, uh, standing point and then building stepping stones to doing that collectively um, is something that I do carve out quite a lot more time now than I was able to in the beginning. Um, and also trying to um, also have a distribution. Not so much, there is one person that on the team is is helping me a little bit more in terms of, for example, we've got shout outs. How do we turn those shout outs into real recognition points? Um, I have someone who went off and did some research and then came back, oh, there's a Slack integration called Bonusly. Let's try that out. Um, But ultimately the core values and all of that can be distributed Mm -hmm. um, because they should be the part of the people who build the culture (laughs) and the culture will evolve. Um, so we also just kind of visit and do a check-in on that on a quarterly basis and then also on an annually basis. Um, but the, the check-ins and the shout-outs and stuff, is it really only takes five minutes every week to yeah. kind of go, hey, I kind of want to recognize Neil for doing such an amazing job hosting the digital workplace or something like that. And then here's five points. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> and that's yeah. it. <laughs> right, I'm going to write that down. I got five points this week. Okay. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And the book, The Alliance, uh, presents, I think, a, a great new way to think about employment uh, partnerships, you know, not not just about, hey, now I've hired you, therefore you work for me for the rest of your life. Like, we can't, mm-hmm. we can't think about that anymore. We have to think about these new new ways of, of engaging with people, thinking about, even like you said, is, is this a full-time employee? Is this a consultant? Is this somebody that's just working on a project for a while? 
all those things are are huge issues. And I'm glad you're there. I think you're you're leading the way and and forming these new types of organizations and new types of relationships that are still positive with employees and, and really serve us better for that. So thanks a lot for being a leader, for coming on and sharing a lot of your insights with us. Uh, where can people go if they want to learn more about you and your company? Um, yeah, definitely just check us out on Um And uh, we will be, uh, especially for those who are interested in, in our um, latest new product launch that's happening later this year, um, otherwise, if you want to just send me a message as well, feel free to jo- um, find me on LinkedIn, um, Vivian Chan. Um, so you can just uh, look for that, especially location London, that might help <laughs> narrow it down. Um, and just send me a DM if you wanted to connect. Excellent. Well, this will not be the last time we reach out to you and get your insight because I think you're doing some great stuff and want to keep tracking with you. But thanks for being on this show. And we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much for hosting. It was a lot of fun. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you are. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.